of the perplexing problems facing everybody, at least sometime in their life, is what do you do and why do bad things happen to good people? Now, this question, i got a, I got an abstract that I want to write a book on one day, if I ever find the time. An abstract, you know, we need more range on this mic. The abstract is a paragraph that explains what the book would be about. When you write a dissertation, you do an abstract, and then that abstract is what's searched on the Internet when people ask questions about your dissertation. So in my abstract for my book that I would like to write, I would like to trace the suffering, understanding of suffering in the Old Testament through the Old Testament, through the intertestamental period, and then get down to Jesus and look at suffering and how it impacts our theology. And the book that probably is most famous for talking about this issue is the book of Job. Of course, you know Job, you know, the guy who's suffering. Unfortunately for theological models that churches and uh, people use, they get sidetracked in the book of Job by the first couple of chapters and the last chapter. And how many know what the first chapter is about? Somebody, go ahead, holler it out. Yeah, it's just a big story about Satan and God and this contest that they come up with. And so most Christians, when they read the book of Job, they get sidetracked on this contest. But really the book is not about that contest so much as it is the concept of blessings and cursings, theology, and how we use it to interpret suffering in life. Now, what's blessings and cursings theology? You all know what it is. You just may not have a name for it. Blessings and cursings theology is where you say, if you do this, God's going to get you. Okay? If you're a good guy, then you'll get blessings. That's blessings and cursings theology. But what happens when in the reality of life, Good people serving the Lord have tragedies and bad things happen in their life. Then we all sit around and try to figure out, well, what happened? They must be sinning and we don't know about it. I've heard that before. Well, you know, something bad happens to a person. They say, man, they must be really living for the devil. Otherwise, God wouldn't have did that to them. Have you heard that? I've heard it. They're sick and in the hospital. Well, they must have did something wrong that God's punishing them. If they just have faith, man, they could get up and walk out of that wheelchair and go home, whatever. This is what the book of Job is trying to deal with. What do you do when bad things happen to good people? And, and so uh, I usually have my biblical text, but I left it at my office desk, and so I've been borrowing other people's biblical resources, so... I might have trouble finding some of the verses I want to read because they're not marked. But I want to kind of share with you, really, I can almost go like this in the book of Job. And every passage I put my finger on will illustrate what I'm going to talk about. The book of Job deals with this very difficult issue, and it starts out with the story with Satan and God having this conversation about Job. And then we have the, the test of Job where there's three friends get involved. And I just... You know, you just got to really appreciate Job's wife. She was so supportive of him, you know. Ah, oh, just curse God and die. You know, 
kind of reminds me when I was working on my dissertation. My wife was so frustrated with spending $7,000 a year on, on my Ph.D. work. She says, man, they just want more of your money. Just quit. Don't do it no more. You know? You see, that's not the kind of encouragement you want to give your spouse, you know? It would have been, hon, I know you can do it. Come on. It's another $7,000. What's $7,000, you know? But you understand, you know, when you've got other bills to pay, you'd like to have that $7,000. So when Job's friends start to speak out, let's, I want to just kind of take some pieces and parts here and look at this because I think you'll be surprised at what you see in this book and how you have never related it to our situation in the modern life. Now, let's see. Job's friends speak. Uh, well, Job speaks. And after this, chapter 3. Let's just pick up at verse 1. And after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day he, of his birth. And he said, May the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, A boy is born. That day... They return to darkness, and they make God above not care about it. So here you have a man that's pretty depressed. Kind of reminds me if you was with me with the Jeremiah stuff this morning. It's kind of the same thing. I don't want to live no more. This, this is so terrible. Let's, let's, let's finish this and get it over with. And so he's extremely depressed. And you know what? People who are serving the Lord and bad things happen to them are depressed. When you are ministering to a person that has a tragedy in their life, the best thing you can do sometimes is to shut your mouth and listen. Let them speak. I had to bury, I've only done one funeral in my life. Pretty fortunate, really. But the funeral I did was of a baby that lived five hours. And so now I have to go talk with a mother in the hospital because I was the interim pastor at a church. And it's my responsibility. You know, when you pastor, Joe, you get those calls, don't you? Tragedy. Some people think pastors only work on Sunday and maybe Sunday night and maybe another night during the week. But, man, tragedies don't take holidays. And so I went to the hospital and met with the mother of of this child who died. Now, she's got four boys, and she'd wanted a girl. And she finally had a girl, and she lived five hours and then died. And so the baby had some serious deformity problems, and that's why she did not survive. And so when I went to the hospital, not knowing what to expect, I knew that my most important responsibility as pastor for her was to listen. So as I went into the room and and I was visiting with her and she was opening up, she started to cry. And the reason why is because to my lack of knowledge, she was a smoker the whole time she was pregnant. And she believed that it was her fault her baby died because she was a smoker. Now that's a burden that's going to be really hard for her to carry. See, you, you just never know where a person's coming from unless you open your ears and listen. And so we had to work through that. And that was tough. It was tough because... She is never really going to forgive herself. Why? Because she's convinced that she killed her baby girl because she smoked. But I did the best I could to assure her that it was not her fault. But I'm sure there were hollow words. So we have these three friends. And so they start out with, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? 
But who can keep from speaking? Think about how many instructed, I'm in chapter 4, verse 3, instructed many, and you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumble, and you strengthened faltering knees, but now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Should not the pity of your confidence and your blameless, uh, and your blameless ways, uh, your hope, consider now, listen real closely, who, being an innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Now this is Eliphaz, and he's saying to his friend, Job, Job, you say you have not sinned. That's what Job's basically saying. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. And Eliphaz is saying to him, Job, man, get off this, man. There is no way you didn't sin. There is no way because God never punishes the righteous. He only punishes the unrighteous. Now, why would he say that? He said that because that's the theological model that's accepted in the Old Testament is fact. That God always punishes evil and always blesses righteousness. Unfortunately, in Job's case, it's not true, is it? And in many of our lives, it is not true. Now, now there's a difference between there's a difference between going out and doing acid and frying your brain and then saying, God's cursing me. You know, no, no, that's, that doesn't count, okay? I'm talking about, you know, something happens where one of your loved ones gets run over by a drunk driver. I'm talking about coming down with cancer and, you, and, and, you know, and these incurable diseases that kill people and you lose loved ones. These are the kind of tragedies. I'm not talking about self-inflicted stupidity. You, know, you fry your brain on acid, well, what do you expect? Gelatin? That's what you got. You know, acid kind of melts things. You'll melt your brain. You know, but people do drugs. They, they pay the price. We're talking about things that are beyond your control, like Job. And when Job was afflicted, they started to really criticize him. And so Job is not going to sit there and take that. So he's going to fight back. And so Job will reply, look over in chapter 6. If only my anguish could be weighed and all the miseries be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the sea. No wonder my words have, have, in, impetuous, have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terror are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or an ox billow when it has a fold? Uh, fold. Folder, excuse me. Um, what Job's trying to do is say, you know, Eliphaz, I hear you, but you're wrong. He's saying that God's got something against me. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. You ever heard that? People blame God for stuff. You know, I want to give you a word of wisdom. When, when a person has something bad happen in their life, you can bet your dollar that they're angry at God. They're angry at God. 
Now, you have two ways to deal with this anger. One way is to pretend like it doesn't exist. The other way is to recognize that people who have these situations occur can be and probably are angry at God and to deal with the anger and to let them know that it's natural to be angry, but you have to eventually get over it so you can repair the relationship if you've breached it. That's tough. But, but see, if you, if you don't realize what they're going through, you'll never be able to help them. Reminds me when I was a teenager, not too smart. Uh, you know, teenagers, you know, you think you know a lot, but when you get 50, you say, man, I was pretty dumb back then. It's just the way it is, you know. Uh, I have a sermon that I preach. I'll share it with you. And I'm not trying to mean teenagers because I was one once. They're great kids, you know. I mean, great young adults because it depends on where you're at, 13 or 19, you know. But when I was probably 16, maybe 17, one of the girls from the church came up to me and she said, have you ever thought about backsliding? No, no, I hadn't thought about that. Why? You know, just blew it off, went on with the conversation, you know, and it makes sense to me. But you know what she was really saying? She was saying, I'm thinking about turning my back on all this and going and being in the world. But see, as my inexperience, I did not pick it up. And six months later, she was pregnant, out of the church, living a wild life, destroyed her life. Do you not think that I feel bad today that I was immature enough not to understand what she was asking? Sure. But ultimately, she made her choice. It wasn't my fault. But I wish I had more experience to read between the lines and say, she's calling out for help, and I need to help her. But I didn't because I was too inexperienced. That's li- that's, sometimes that's life. You know, I feel, you know, you feel bad, but, you know, you realize in hindsight, well, you know, everyone makes their bed and they have to lay in it. And when you go out and do sin, you will pay the price. It may not seem like a very high price at first, but it usually is very high. I remember, I remember the sales. This is, ah, you're a big group. You can handle it. I remember this car salesman. Car salesman, you know, they're usually foul-mouthed guys. Mechanics, you know, I was, I'm an automobile technician for some of my life. And they're a foul-mouthed group, too, typically. And one time, <laughs> the salesman, he was a top salesman. He's probably pulling in, I don't know, $80,000 a year selling Jaguars and, and selling uh, top-of-the-line little Toyota and Lexus and stuff like that, you know. And so he gets his girlfriend pregnant, and she doesn't want to marry him. And, uh, and I said to them, I was in the break room, and this is all, they're all talking about it. I said, boy, that was an expensive bit of pleasure, 15 minutes. $20,000 a year for 18 years. That's about $160,000. That was a pretty expensive prostitute. Yeah. See, you got to pay for them babies when you make them. See, you see, sin has a long-ranging consequence for that guy. Now, eventually she decided to marry him. She probably divorced him by now, but that's another story. Because marriages built on that kind of relationship usually fail. Sin has consequences. And so Job thinks that he's 
innocent of sin, and his friends think he's full of sin. That's a real conflict between the two, two parties. And so as Job moves on, Bildad gets into the, to the fray in chapter 8. How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sin against Him, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, and if you are pure and upright, even now He will rouse Himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. So Eliphaz said, man, just fess up, man. You sinned. Come on, what would you do? And then Bildad says the same thing. He says a little bit different, but the same thing. He said, man, you're not convincing any of us. We know you did something wrong. Just tell God, and he will forgive you, and you can get back on this blessing curve instead of this cursing curve. That road of curses is pretty tough, you know. And so Job replies to him in chapter 9. He says, indeed, I know that is True, but how can mortal be righteous before God? Though one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound, his power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? So he's saying, Listen, man, I can't take God on. Well, that makes good sense. He moves the mountains, whether they know it, overturns them in his anger, and he shakes the earth. So he's talking about how great and powerful God is. Now Zophar, he's going to get into the act, chapter 11. And these are the words, are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? Will no one rebuke when you mock? You say, God, my beliefs are flawless, and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak and that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for the true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sins. Whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty scathing. He's saying, man, God's even, he's forgot stuff that you don't even know, and you've sinned. He's, you know, he's just really going after Job on this issue. And so Job's going to reply again to this. Uh, let's see here. Let me pull down here. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 12. Let's pull down to verse number. Now uh, let's jump over 12. I think I really want to get up to around chapter 20. That's when it really gets heated up. Let's jump over to around chapter 20, 20 19 and 20. I want to get to one of Job's. I'm going to see if I can find one of Job's um, famous content. Uh, Ricky, type in the word um, house and see where it shows up in uh, the book of Job. I think you can search that for me. Uh, see if you can search that. Uh, there's a passage I want to make sure I read that it's not that obviously this is my Bible. So I have it marked in mind so I don't miss it. But it deals with uh, if I could basically go up to God's house up to his doorstep. So Job, Job is in a condition right now that he seriously believes that he 
is righteous and he's not at fault and that God is picking on him unjustly. Now, that's a pretty tough sell. I mean, after all, you're talking about God and a, and a humanity, human, and he's comparing how the two um, are just incompatible from their position of authority, their position of power. I mean, after all, think of God. He created the universe, right, and everything in it. What are, what are we to that? We are on a, a little planet on the outskirts of a mediocre galaxy in the middle of a universe that has 100 billion galaxies, each having, I don't know, 100 billion stars. And we're like lost in a soup. Pastor, Sister Nancy asked me today, do you think there's possibility of life on other planets? Interesting question, isn't it? And I said to her, I said, you know what? I suppose it's hypothetically possible, but it's highly improbable. Okay? And, and I said that for this reason. There, there's this Harvard guy that I saw on the History Channel. And he was trying to create synthetic molecules into life. And for 20 years, he's been trying to do everything he can to make a one-celled creature from scratch. Actually, he's kind of cheating, actually. He's using some of God's material. But even at that, so, so he went through all these things he was trying to do. He was trying to take and blow little teeny bubbles into this goop and then drizzle amino acids into this goop in the hopes that maybe that would form a little cellular kind of structure and that maybe it would do something. So he's been doing this for 20 years, probably with taxpayers' money too. He works for Harvard, so they got a lot of endowments. So. After 20 years, 20 years ago he said he thought he could do it in 20 years. 20 years later he says now, I think it'll take, maybe take another 20 or maybe even 50. You know what I think? I think he's going to be there a lot longer than 20 years, a lot longer than 50 years. He's going to be there probably longer than humanity will survive. You know what I'm saying? To bring life. See, it's one thing to blow bubbles into a a cellular form, but what's the definition of life? Life has to be self-sustaining and reproducing itself. Now, even if he could figure out how to get a little D, inject a little DNA into a little bubble of amino acid, whatever he was trying to do, and I, he had all kinds of things he tried, I still don't see how it reproduced. Man, you think about that. They have mapped all the genomes. They have mapped everything out. And they think they're so smart, but they can't even get a little one-celled amoeba to come to life. You hear what I'm telling you? Now, you just think about the human body. You calculate 20 trillion times a second. That's faster than any computer on the planet. And I know you're saying to yourself, yeah, but those computers are a lot smarter than me. No, they're not. They're dumb as rocks. All they can do is process yes and no. That's all they do is process yes and no. 
Either I'm on or I'm off. That's not too bright. I'm either on or I'm off. Well, no kidding. They just do that real fast. But think about what a, what a human body does. I'm standing up here and I'm balanced. I'm not falling over. I'm holding the microphone. I occasionally look down and read a text. I vocalize the text. I transmit it through the airwaves. You all pick it up and hear it, translate it, formulate thoughts from it. Man, that takes a pretty supercomputer. And God put it in such a small little spot. You think about that. And they want us to believe it's an accident? Oh, my, my, my. I'm not that stupid to believe that that's an accident. We all have some mitochondria. No, it's not contagious. Some of you thought it was, but it's not. The mitochondria is a really cool little device. It keeps you from catching on fire. That's a pretty cool device. I'm glad I have a lot of it. Because when you convert sugar into energy, do we find the word house there in Job in about 20 to 26? Uh, no. Um, type in the, this one's to be too much. Type in the word uh, God, because he's talking about uh, God. And he, when he says to God, I want to come up and see him face to face. I don't remember what verse. It's somewhere between 20 and 26. You know, that, we are an absolute medical mystery when it comes to life. For example, when we die, they can't bring you back to life. There's something there that is so mysterious that humanity, since the beginning of time, has been trying to figure out what happens after death. Now, we have the biblical text to tell us, and you know what? I sleep pretty fine at night because I have that biblical text. You know, sinners don't sleep well, and they don't do well, and they have a lot of anxiety, especially when they start to get a little older, because of the fear of death, the fear of the unknown. I am, we are so blessed that we have an understanding of God, and we have an understanding of life after death. And I know we don't have all the answers, but let me tell you, I sleep mighty fine at night knowing that God's in control. Now, let me read uh, what Zophar has to say here. There's a couple. These guys say basically the same thing over and over again. I wanted to find that passage with Job, though. Do you have any luck with that finding that passage with Job for me? Yeah, that's what I'm, I think that's it because I just looked at it. That's it. There we go. All right, let me read it to you. Thank you, guys. Job then replied, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. Now, see, it wasn't a house, it was dwelling. Sorry about that. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments, and I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No. He would not press charge against me. 
there an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I don't know about you, but you hear what Job just said? Let me kind of paraphrase it for you. He says, man, if, that, if I could just go to where God is, I would set him straight. You know, he's over there in the east, but when I go over there, he's gone. He's afraid of me. If he would, if he would just be a man about it, come and tell me face to face why he's doing this, I'd set him straight. Man, I'll tell you what. That's some pretty arrogant words. Uh, then again, humanity is pretty arrogant. You think about everything from our politicians to our scientists to our intellectuals. You know, they think they have all the answers to all of life's questions. Well, I could have saved them a lot of time and trouble. All they need to do is rent a teenager for three hours, and they would have all the answers to all the questions of life. At least when I was a teenager, I had all the answers. I'm not, I, I don't mean to pick on the teenagers. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you a bit of wisdom, though. You know, listen sometimes instead of speaking, because listening, you will learn more than you realize. And you'll know that in 20 years when you have kids. Because your kids will do exactly what you do to your parents and your teachers and whoever else. Sometimes lessons are learned the hard way. But men and women, don't leave your women out, the secular among us, the secular humanists are very arrogant. I'll give you a classic example. Our politicians recently passed a bill that's going to cost us 90% more on our electric, 55% more on our gas, and 55% more for heating oil. So all your energy costs are going to double and triple over the next 5 to 10 years because of this bill. It's not a tax, though, but you're still going to pay more. Why? Because they believe that we're destroying the planet with global warming. But they can't even tell me what the temperature is going to be in three weeks from now, but they can tell me it's going to be 100 years from now. Now, does that make sense to you? That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Man has always had a problem with arrogance. Job had a problem with arrogance. And he, you know, I know that it says he didn't sin, but he sure come close. I mean, he really came close to, to uh, sinning when he accused God like that. Well, we jump toward the end. you got, you got another guy that jumps on the bandwagon toward the end, Elihu, chapter 32. And he's a youngster. And so he waited for the old guys to uh, say their piece because the older guys are supposed to have wisdom. And so eventually he jumps on the boat and he just blasts into the old guys because they, didn't challenge, they couldn't defeat Job's argument. And then after Elihu's done... 
God speaks. You know, you've got to be careful what you pray for. Sometimes you might just get it. I just love the book of Habakkuk for that reason. Of Habakkuk it says, God, why do the righteous suffer? And why do the sinners get all this stuff? And blah, blah, blah. He goes on, on, on. And he says, I'll just watch and wait and see what happens. And then he wipes them all out. <laughs> the righteous and the unrighteous all got wiped out by the Babylonians. And so his prayer was, Lord, you let these guys get away with these unrighteous things. And guess what? God didn't let them get away with unrighteous things. And he said, the faith, the just live by faith. Famous verse that Paul quotes. So the Lord speaks in chapter 38. And I don't want to read all this to you. You can read it on your spare time. But let me tell you what it basically says. God comes down and he says, Job, brace yourself as a man because I'm going to talk to you. You want me to talk to you? I'm here. And let me tell you, I think you've been pretty hard on me. And you've been pretty slanderous of me. I'm kind of paraphrasing. You get the idea. He says, where was you when I made the earth, if you're so wise? Where was you when I measured out the valleys and the hills? Whoa. I guess he better brace himself. He probably should have hide under a rock, you know, after all those slanderous things he said about God. And the question Job had, by the way, what was the question he had? Why is God punishing me? when I am doing the right thing. Job never got an answer from God. He never got his answer. God came and talked to him face to face, and Job never asked the question when he got face to face because he realized how arrogant he was probably. And he got his wish. God came and spoke to him. But the thing that's amazing about the story is, is that the Bible never answered the question of why bad things happen to good people. Why do bad things happen to righteous people? The Bible never answered that question. I wish it would have. It sure would have made life a little bit easier to interpret. But it did not. So what do we take out of this book? In the end, you know, Job gets twice of everything, but I don't know. If you lost, how many kids do you have? I think six or eight or whatever. I don't remember. Seven. And you got twice as many of everything, so now you must have 14 if we do the math right. You know, getting twice as many kids just doesn't quite fill the void of the seven you lost. You know, it's not like you're trading baseball cards. So, as we look at life, let me tell you, you will have bad things happen to you in this life. It will happen. Some of you will have even worse than bad things happen to you in this life. How you approach those things in your theological understanding will determine your relationship with God. If you say, God hates me, and that's why he's punishing me for something I didn't do, you will be like Job, bitter. But on the other hand, if you realize that because we live in a sinful world, bad things happen to good people, and that God will help you through it. Let's go to Romans chapter 10.
I'm sorry, I want to go to Romans chapter 8. I think that's where I want to be. Yeah, chapter 8. 828. For we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called by who have been called according to his purpose. Now many people know that verse. Anyone have King James? I doubt it. Anyone have a King James version here? Ricky, see if you can pull up a King James. This is a this is a very important verse because it can be interpreted two ways. It can be interpreted two ways because the Greek grammar is inconclusive on which way Paul meant it. Unfortunately, it would have been nice if he would have clarified it with a little better explanation. But you know what? It's too bad. He's dead. He's not going to explain it for us, okay? So we have two translations. Once we get the other one up here. The one I just read basically says that when bad things happen to people, God will work out good. That's the NIV translation. That's how it basically reads. The King James, on the other hand, reads a little bit different. It's a nuance. It's not very great, but it's a very important. It says to this effect that uh, God basically uses bad things to do good. So it kind of sounds like that God does bad things in order to get good instead of when bad things happen, God can do good. Right, let's see if we got it here. This is King James. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him. To them are called by his name according to his purpose. See, all things work together for good. Is this King James? King James Version. Okay, bring, bring it back down. Let's compare that now to the NIV. The NIV reads, and we know that in all things God work, works good. Here it says, we know that all things work good together for good. So in this verse, you can, you can interpret it that God does things to bring good. And the other one, in bad things, God brings good. Now you say there's not much difference. Yeah, there's a big difference. Because, for example, I'll give you a classic example that you could, most of you should be able to relate to. In 2004, Florida was slammed with four major hurricanes and did Devastation to a lot of people. And my wife works with these cafeteria workers, and they're all Sunday school type teachers. Uh, they go to church. They're not very sanctified. I'm not implying they're sanctified, but um, they all have church backgrounds. Unfortunately, their ethics are a lot to be desired, but that's another story. So these ladies said to my wife and the other ladies one day, Man, those people up in Florida, they must be really sinning a lot to have four major hurricanes wipe them out like that. This is in 2004. 2005, Hurricane Katrina wipes them all out. But they didn't say that, did they? They didn't say, man, we must be big sinners because God wiped us out with Katrina. Isn't it amazing how people can do this? Wag the finger and point to people and say, ha ha! Job's friends, see? Job's friends live today, folks. And when bad things happen, they're going to point their finger at you and say, Oh, man, you must not be living for God. That God let you down. He's worthless. Why do you serve him? Especially when you have family members that don't believe. They criticize the church. and They just want your money. A bunch of money grubbers over there. 
You know, you, you just hear all this kind of nonsense. I'm telling you, people like to point their finger. But when bad things happen to them, it's, oh, me. I don't deserve this. You better be consistent. Either it is sin or it's not sin. See, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. It was okay to call everyone else a dirt dog sinner. And point, see, God doesn't like those people over there. I just hate that expression, it's an act of God. Hurricane Katrina, act of God, destroys New Orleans. There were so many people afterwards saying, see, New Orleans is such a sinful city. It is. Such a sinful city, God was trying to punish it to get them to repent. Man, they didn't even close down Bourbon Street. If God was trying to destroy the city, he would have at least got Bourbon Street. You know what I'm saying? Be careful how you say things like that. Remember that you've got to be consistent when you do things like that. If, if you're going to say bad things happen because a sinner, it's a sinner. That's why bad things happen. And then when bad things happen to you, well, you must be a sinner too. That's the problem. Job, the purpose of Job is to let people know that bad things happen to righteous people too. And when those bad things happen to righteous people, you need to recognize that God will do something for good, even though you see nothing. That seems good. And that is hard to see. My stepsister was killed by a drunk at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Brain dead. They had to pull the plug. She lived for like two hours after they pulled the plug. Now, my stepdad, he's, he's not a, he doesn't serve God in a typical fashion. He'll sometimes go to church with my mom. My mom's a good Christian woman. He's a good man, but I just don't know about his relationship with Christ. He had to pull that plug on his daughter. I don't know how he did that. I, I, I sit there and say, I would want to go get a gun. You know what I'm saying? This drunk killed his daughter. And he, he somehow weathered that without Christ. It amazes me. You know, it's not that he's not a churchgoer, but he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't have an outward expression of faith. He went to the trial every day. The judge was going to slap him on the wrist. He fought and fought and fought, and the guy got four years. After four years, he was let out, and he was arrested for drunk driving two months later. Bad things happen to good people. She was doing a lot of church work in nursing homes, doing the right thing. I think Griselda, did I say that right? I always have a hard time with Griselda. Had a friend who was 22 killed by a train recently. What's the sense? I'm sure there's people in here that have people that have been killed by violence in the city. You know doesn't always make sense. It's how we handle tragedy, though, that determines your character. You'll know a person's character when they're under stress. That's when you really know somebody. I'll give you a good example. Have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? 
Now, I've been a mechanic a number of years. That's how I put my way through college. That's where I put my, through, through my way through seminary and Ph.D. graduate school. One time, I did something really stupid. I was spinning this wheel on the front-end alignment machine, and I had my finger inside the rim, and as it came up against the brake caliper, it tore all the skin off the ends of my finger. Oh, that was nasty. I sat there and said, looked at my hand. I'm bleeding all over the place. So I had to go to the get first aid kid, take care of it. That makes your fingers really tender, by the way, to work. Good thing it was my left hand. Because I'm right handed, of course. How you deal with that in your language says volumes about who you are. My dad has not been a stellar example of Christianity over his years. Left my mom when I was in high school, went away with another woman, shacked up with her for seven years, and then she ran away with a neighbor man like she did with her husband before. Left my dad. He goes out and he starts dating a prostitute in the bar and ends up marrying her. And he's got two kids. I have a, a half-sister that's... She's a great little girl, but she's like 13, you know. Now, I told my dad, I said, Dad, it's your bed. You made it. You laid in it, you know. Bad decisions on his life. I had to finance his property because he was getting ready to lose it. Bad decisions in his life. See, you don't want to end up at 72 years old and have a string of bad decisions that you have to live with because you reap what you sow. And so when, when, when we live in, in our life, you really need to think about decisions you make and the impact upon your spiritual walk, your financial situation, how it impacts your family life. And, and I know sometimes it's hard to think in those terms globally. But I'm telling you, decisions you make today will influence the rest of your life because you plant the seeds for the rest of your life. And you will reap those seeds for the rest of your life. So the, what's the moral of the story? Don't plant weeds. You know? I mean, after all, if you're going to plant a corn crop, you don't plant crabgrass with it. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you have to use some wisdom. And the problem, now, no, young people, let me tell you, because this demographics is 15 to 25. I know there's a few older, but that's the basic demographics. It is really difficult to make good decisions at this age because you want to be accepted by others. You know, you want to be part of the cool group and you want to be part of whatever. I never had that trouble. I don't know why. Man, when I was in high school, you know, my, my mom and dad, they weren't very wealthy. There were six of us. That's a lot of kids. Some of you are from big families. You know what I'm talking about. You live in Chicago, expensive. I didn't live in Chicago. I lived in a little town, but still my dad did not manage money well. So I had a lot of hand-me-downs for my cousins. Man, I had flood pants. You know what flood pants are? Didn't bother me. You know, that's what I had. You didn't like it? Tough. You know. 
Uh, so I go to school. I get razzed a lot of times. It didn't bother me. Why? Because I was confident in who I was. Because I became a Christian at 13. Let me tell you something. That is the best thing that ever happened to me because I avoided all of the garbage that others had to endure as I grew up. So I've been serving the Lord 13, and I'm now 52, so that's almost 40 years. I have never regretted a single day of that choice. And I have been blessed, and I have been blessed, and I have been blessed. And to tell you the truth, I still have not encountered my Job experience. You hear what I'm telling you? I have been blessed that I've never had to deal with a Job experience yet. But I know that my Job experience will come. Because it comes to everybody. Eventually, your loved ones will pass away. Eventually, you might come down with an illness and have to deal with it as you get older. But I assure you that when my Job experience comes, I'm going to do the NIV version. Praise the Lord. He's going to take me through whatever this is. And I'm not worried about it. Because I'm confident that the God I serve is bigger than my problem. And so as you you ponder decisions, man, always put God on the number one list of your, your reasons for believing and doing things. You will never regret it. It's the greatest thing you can do in life is is to be faithful to the Lord. Let's all stand and pray. Father, as we share about this servant of yours, Job, in the Bible, Father, we just pray that you'll help us to gain insight, Father, into our lives and into our choices we make in life, Father, so that we may always serve you, Father, faithfully. And when challenges of life roll our way, Father, may we not be discouraged, but may we say, Jesus, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, for being there for me. Father, I pray for this group of young people and young adults. I pray in the name of Jesus that everyone here will be covered by your blessings. May they secure their place in your salvation, Father, so that they may never be shaken from it, Father. May they grab a hold of it so tightly, Father, that they will never be swayed by the lifestyle of people around them and family members and the turbulent society we live in, Father. May they always grab a hold of the rock and hide in the cleft of your protection. Father, I pray for their security, Father. Their security of knowing that you are there whenever they need you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I just thank you. I give you honor and glory.